The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org. Praise to God the Father, all praise. 
glorious day. I was buried beneath my shame.
Jesus, Lord of In the book of John, chapter 21, verse 2 and 3, it says, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of, the, of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Then he, and they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So I ask, Are you like Peter? Let me put this passage into context. This is shortly after the disciples had watched their Lord and Savior, our Lord and Savior, be hung on a cross and crucified. They were hidden away in the upper room, and Jesus, in his resurrection, visited, visited them there, but only briefly. And... You know, in the disciples' mind, in the, their world was shattered. Their Savior, their leader, was dead and was gone. Their whole existence was gone. And so, you know, Peter, in his infinite wisdom... He did what most of us would do. He returned to what was normal for him. He returned to what was comfortable for him. He went fishing. And so I could see it playing out something like this. You know, they're in the upper room and Peter's probably sitting there and he's just agonizing over everything. And then all of a sudden he just stops and in his brain, he's come to some sort of resolve, and he said, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to go fishing. I'll just go fishing. And the disciples like, hey, that's a good idea. Let's go. Let's all go. So they all went out fishing. But unfortunately, this doesn't play out immediately like the Hollywood movies that you watch. You know, when you watch a movie on TV or in the theaters or wherever, and they, they get 
the, the hero gets downtrodden and he gets beat up and he escapes and then all is well. Peter says, let's go fishing. And they go out and they spend all night out on the water. And guess what? They caught nothing. They caught nothing. So their world was wrecked. They returned to their familiar lifestyle. And then their world stayed wrecked the entire night. But if we look at verse 4 and 5, it said, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know who he was. And Jesus said to, him, to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And so the disciples rode, rode their boats to the shore, Day was breaking. They were still beat up, run down, upset. And their, their Savior was on the shore. But they didn't know who he was. And so, I can, I, you know, in my, my mind, I see it playing out kind of like this too. You know, they're cleaning up, and Peter, we know how he can be. You know, he's on the boat, and they haven't caught anything, and he's probably throwing stuff around, kicking stuff. And Jesus says, did you catch any fish? No. And Jesus tells them, Cast your nets on the right side of the boat. Now, I don't believe for one moment that Jesus just appeared at daybreak on the shore. Here's what I think. I think he was there all night. And he was there and he was praying for them. Praying for their leadership. Praying for their faith. Praying for them as he was fixing to send them out. And they, the sun rises, the new day dawns, and he says, did you catch any fish? And they're still upset. No, we didn't catch anything. And he says, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. Now, I don't look at that as being right and left. I don't look, to, look at that as a direction. I look at that as a correct side of the boat. Church, we all know that this world's going to beat us up. It's going to kick us. It's going to run us down. And yet, our loving Savior, our precious Lord, is on the shore praying for us through our storms. And as the new day dawns, he asks us, did you catch any fish? And our answer is no. Then he says, cast your net on the correct side of the boat. Cast your net with me. Cast all your cares on me. And I will give you rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
thank you for this day. Thank you for the, the promise that you will never leave us, nor will you forsake us. Heavenly Father, as we continue throughout today and this week, Lord, we ask that you guide our steps. You guide our words. And Lord, we ask that you put us in positions where we can be mentors, where we can be that guiding light to direct people to you. Lord, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Talked Caden into helping me out uh, with running some Cat 6 network cable in the attic a few years back. Uh, now, granted, it was for a hardwire connection for his room, but I think he still could have said no, right? And, and so our house is kind of a Frankenstein house, which means that it was added on here. Uh, there was a garage that was renovated, and then there was a first story that was put in, and then there was a second story put on top of that, all in different Times And so we remodeled over the process and kind of made it ours. Um, but that meant that if he's going through, sometimes if you're working in the attic, you go through the roof, still in the attic, to go into another part of the house. And so it's just kind of what it is. Um, so a flashlight's only going to go so far. And when the light ran out, Caden was still walking in near darkness on rafters. He was walking on the beams there because he didn't want to add learning how to fix sheetrock to his list on that day. Now, I'm a good dad, so I sent him in with a flashlight, right? He had a flashlight on, but if you've ever been in an attic and if you've ever been walking with a flashlight, a flashlight doesn't do a whole lot, right? Um, it's difficult in the attic in near darkness to gauge distance and direction. It's hard to do that. He heard my voice, though. I was in the second story, and, and I would continue to just speak to him. And so he made his way closer and closer and closer to me. What does surrender look like? Some people would say it means giving up. It's a battle term, right? The white flag of surrender. And I can definitely see that. It's giving up control. It's giving up the notion that we can do all of this on our own. But giving up in darkness only leaves you in darkness, right? You sit down, you stop trying, you give up, you're still there. So in that instance, maybe giving it over sounds more like it. Giving over control. Giving over fear and insecurity. It's hard to gauge distance and direction in our walk with Christ. It's hard sometimes to see how far we've come. It's hard to know which path to take if we're following the Lord's lead. Surrendering is saying, I can't get through the darkness alone. I need the Father's voice. I need his peace, his strength to lead me in the right direction. And which direction is that? I'm glad you asked. It's toward him. 
Welcome online on the radio um, this morning as we finish up our sermon series, The Emmaus Code. Um, and I would recommend if you are on social media to follow uh, Toby Mac's Speak Live platform. It's super encouraging, much like Caleb. And it's very, very, uh, very, very good. The last three sentences say this. God is with you. He is still with you. He is always with you. We're going to look at the story of Joseph today through the lens of providence, knowing that God walks with Joseph and he walks with us too. So Joseph's story is found in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. And so if we're going to read all of that today, I better get started if we're going to be done by Tuesday. So um, actually, no, um, we're only going to look at one passage here. Genesis 50 verse 20. And actually, I'm going to back up just a little bit. 50 verse 18 is where I'm at. Genesis is the book. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So we have uh, types and shadows. These are the things that we have been focusing on, whether we knew it or not, this entire sermon series. Another way to say it is antitype and type, substance and shadow. The focus passage for this whole thing was Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It's where Jesus is speaking to the two companions on the road to Emmaus. And it says, starting with Moses, he being Jesus, explained about himself in scripture. He revealed himself. And so we've looked at these different character studies in this series. Now I talked about substance and shadow. I talked about antitype and type. Type is a Greek word, tupos, meaning to strike or to stamp. Anti, we all know, right? Anti means against. So antitype means to strike against. To stamp. So think stamping something, leaving a mark on something. And, and when you think that way, you see that Jesus is the original. And all of the other examples that we see are just shadows. The substance is always superior to the shadow. We say just a minute ago, Uh, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. And I love that idea. There are days when we have to make our heart believe, right? There are some say, follow your heart. That's a terrible idea, right? Because your heart is driven by feelings and emotions and circumstances. So we need to make our hearts believe that Jesus is better, even better than our best day. This is the thing that we do. No matter What comes next? Now, there are, some say, 129 similarities between Joseph and his story and Jesus. Don't worry, we're not going to look at all 129 today. We're really only going to focus 
on three. This is actually the second draft of this sermon after talking with Marie. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. The first draft was nerdy. It was a history lesson. I just picked apart everything. I was like, here's a similarity. Here's a similarity. Right. And in verse 30, uh, chapter 38, I went down a rabbit trail. Right. Judah is in the middle of Joseph's story and we don't know why. And I really love the idea that now I know why. And I'll share it with you someday. Not today. Right. But this is what I hope to be more of a life lesson. And I want to focus on three similarities between Joseph and Jesus and how they relate to us today. The first one is sold out. They were both sold out. The second one is they were both tempted. The third one is their character. They were the same, no matter the circumstance. Uh, Joseph, his brothers didn't like him very much. He was the favorite, right? Um, He was the one that got the coat of many colors in its awesome Brandon Lake song, if you haven't heard it yet. Uh, But more than that, I think it was the dreams. Now, if you have dreams that you're going to rule and reign over your older brothers, pro tip, don't tell the brothers that dream, right? Because they did not like Joseph at all. In fact, they conspired to kill him. And they decided, why not kill, we're not going to kill him. Why not just sell him for money and just say that he's dead? So he was sold out for silver. The guy that instigates the whole plan, his name is Judah. Judah is the Hebrew name. Judas is the Greek name. They're the same name. It means he who is praised. So Joseph is sold out. And he's sold out to these Ishmaelite traders. He's heading into Egypt. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. And at the end of the day, Joseph has a choice and you do too. You control how you respond in every situation, right? Now, some of you will tell me, yeah, but you don't know what so-and-so did, right? I get it. But you control how you respond. You control how you react to the circumstance, to the struggle, to the trial, to the success. You control that. Nobody else, right? You don't have to show me your hand, but you can if you want. Have you ever been hurt by somebody? Has anyone ever been hurt? Has everyone, has anyone, everyone, probably the same, been lied to? Have you ever been lied to? How about, have you ever been lied about? Have you ever been taken advantage of? Have you ever had a bus parked solely on top of you and just left there? That's metaphorically. (laughs) If it's the other one, I really want to hear that story after (laughs) this service. At that point... We have a choice because every circumstance brings a choice, right? Do we stay bitter? Do we get better? Is there retribution? Do we lash out? Do we forgive? Do we walk in love? All of these things come together. Joseph sold to Potiphar. He sold to the Ishmaelites first. He ends up with 
Potiphar. Uh, in fact, the amount the brothers got for that was not very much at all. Um, when they divided amongst the brothers, it wasn't very much for each brother. Also, they were a pretty well-to-do family, so they didn't need the money anyway. This was not a money thing for any of the brothers. They wanted him gone. And Joseph had an opportunity to be bitter. He had an opportunity to be angry and to curse his current situation. But Joseph held fast to his dreams, and he trusted the Lord for what came next. In the same way, Jesus is driven by love and compassion. Can you imagine what happens, what would happen if you knew what came next? Now, I know it sounds great in theory, right? Like if you're choosing superpowers, maybe being able to see the future. But if you could see the future, if you could see where you ended up, wouldn't that bring an immense pressure? If you could tell who hurt you along the way, wouldn't that affect your relationships? Wouldn't all of these different things come into play? Jesus knows what's going to happen. John 13 is a powerful chapter because Jesus is fully human, fully divine. And in this chapter, Jesus is bringing his band of brothers together one last time before he heads to the cross. And as all of them come through the door, he washes their feet. All of them. Even the one who sold him out. He knew that Judas was going to sell him out. I wonder if when Judas came through the line that their eyes locked onto each other. At that moment, Judas still had a choice. Do you know that? He still had a choice to either go through with it or to let it all go. And in that moment, Jesus knew Judas' decision and he washed his feet anyway. 21 verses later, he says, one of you will betray me. He already knew which one. Joseph and Jesus are both sold out. Both respond by surrendering themselves to God, no matter what comes next. We are called to the same thing. When we are sold out, some would say we're called to turn the other cheek. But I love this more descriptive idea that we are called to be driven by love and compassion. Because if we still have breath in our lungs, there is still time for redemption. And for restoration. I'm not looking at you throughout the rest of the sermon, I'm sorry. We, know, we don't know what happens at the end. We don't have that power that Jesus had. Uh, our stories are written as we live them out in the moment, by the moment. None of us know what the ending is going to look like. We're just taking one step in front of the other. And, and sometimes it's in darkness and sometimes it's in light. But we're still being guided by our father. Joseph flourishes in Potiphar's house. I, I love this. It says that he, um, he's, he's, everybody is blessed around him just because he's around, right? I want to be that person. I, I want to be a blessing to others just because I'm in the room. I love this idea. He flourishes in Potiphar's house. He's still a servant, but he's the head guy pretty much, right? Potiphar's let all of the things go through Joseph at this point. 
And everybody notices the head guy. Everybody sees the head guy. And also, Joseph says, it says that he's pretty easy on the eyes, right? And so Potiphar's wife notices him. And Potiphar's wife comes up time and time and time again and tempts him over and over and over again. And it's not like she's wearing Joseph down. Like eventually he's going to be like, oh, no, no, please, I'm not going to. Right? It's always like, no, I'm not doing this. Stop asking me. It's the same answer. And so finally, they're alone together. She tempts him. He doesn't give in and he gives us something to do when we are being tempted. And I love this because I claim to be a runner, right? He runs, he flees, he sprints, he takes off, keep the coat and he leaves, right? I love the way scripture says it. He left the garment in her hand and he fled. He just left. He got himself out of there. Jesus is baptized. And he returns from the Jordan River and it says in scripture that he's immediately led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. For 40 days, the devil is relentless in his pursuit. He might not know all that Jesus is, but he thinks that if he can break this guy, all is lost. I just have to break this guy. And he tempts him over and over again. Now, this is my opinion. I believe that Jesus had to go into the wilderness. And this is why I believe that. He had to show us that withstanding temptation could be done. He had to show us that it could be done. I said that he was fully divine, but he's still fully human. And every single time he was tempted, he did another thing that shows us how to withstand temptation. He quoted scripture. He quoted the word of God time and time again. In Jesus' divinity, he would conquer the grave, absolutely. But in his humanity, he gave us a very important lesson. Don't give in. It's possible to withstand temptation. I'm a big quote guy. Um, If you know me, you know that I probably have a quote for almost anything. Um, And I really love C.S. Lewis. He's one of my favorite authors. Uh, So this quote resonates with me quite a bit. Relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. Relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. Jesus withstood temptation. Joseph did too. Now, for some reason, the, the reason that Joseph withstood temptation gives me hope. I don't know, it may be a mental block, but to me, being exactly like Jesus is really difficult, right? I think of feeding the 5,000, I think of miracles, I think of the things that he did do and the things that he didn't do, right? All of these things come together and I put Jesus on a pedestal, maybe it's rightly so. But a beautiful thing here about Joseph is Joseph's fully human like me. He's just a guy. 
And he was able to do the same thing. He was able to withstand temptation. How many of you, show of hands, have ever taken a shower? Raise your hand if you've ever taken a shower. Actually, you don't have to raise your hand. Chances are, if you've never taken a shower, everybody will know around you, right? You don't have to answer that question. How many of you, again, you don't have to raise your hand. People will know. How many of you have only taken one shower in your life and decided that was good? Right? Like, like, I don't have to shower again. I did it once, and now I'm clean, and now that's fine. I think sometimes we rely on God, and we leave it at once. That we say we do it one time, and that's enough, right? That that covers us for the entire time. But just like taking a shower cleans us physically... Relying on God every single day cleans us from the inside out, makes our hearts pure, sets our minds right. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be transformed or do not be conformed, right? But be transformed, transformed by how? The renewing of your mind. When we do this, We're able to run from temptation. When we do this, we know what God's word says. And if we don't know what God's word says, we pick up his word and we read it. So we know what it says about us, about our journey, and how we fit in the kingdom economy. When we know what he says about us, it helps us to gauge distance and direction. I think one of the hardest things about humans, we look forward to the future and we see we've got so much to go. We're so far away from where we want to be. But we don't ever turn around and see how far we've come, how different we are, how much we've grown. In the same way, direction, the world will tell you that things are good and they're not good. The world will tell you that this is the right way to live, and it's not the right way to live. How will we know if everybody's truth is on a sliding scale? We trust God's truth. We know God's truth. Another quote, I told you I'm a big quote guy. A little convoluted, but once you say it a couple of times, it's going to stick in your head, I promise. God wants you to get where God wants you to go more than you want to get where God wants you to go. This is a quote from Mark Batterson. And I love this idea, right? Think about where you want to end up. Think about your hopes and dreams. Think about the plans you believe in your heart that the Lord has for you. Think about how that excites you. Now think about how much more God wants you to get there. How much more he wants to see you end up where you're at. Your journey to him matters. The distance traveled. And maybe today you're in darkness. And maybe you don't really see a way out and there's a little light and you're worried it may be an oncoming train. Can I just tell you that God wants you to get where he wants you to go?
Maybe you're balancing on rafters and you're pretty sure if you take one wrong step, you're going to go through the sheetrock and everything's broken. Let me tell you, God wants you to get where God wants you to go. Let me tell you, maybe you're in the light. Maybe you're riding high on success. Maybe everything has fallen into place and this is really good. Do not forget that God wants you to get where he wants you to go. Don't lose yourself in the process. The last thing, Joseph was the same man in prison as he was as governor. And I've looked through this, I've read through it more than a few times, and I see the same character throughout. Now, did he wonder what happened to the cupbearer that was supposed to elevate him? For sure. Did he curse God? I don't see it. Was he ready, right? When opportunity came, right? Another quote, this one's for free, be ready when you get there. Was he ready when opportunity presented itself? For sure he was. Did he use that power and prestige to abuse others? No. No. He lorded over others in a kind and empathetic way. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. If you try to control one small little thing, chances are you're controlling everything, or at least you're trying, right? If you slack off on one little thing, chances are every little thing that you set your hands to, even if it's big things, there's going to be a little slack in there, right? If, if the first thing you do when something happens is pray, chances are every single time something happens, you're going to pray. If the first thing you do in the morning is open up your Bible when no one is looking, chances are you're going to open up your Bible in front of other people and share what the Lord has done for you. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. And Joseph gave God glory, and Jesus gave God glory. Neither one took credit for what they did. Joseph, when asked about translating, interpreting dreams, he said, I can't do it, but God can. And his focus, he knew he didn't get where he was by himself alone. He said, God meant it for good. God wanted me to get where God wanted me to go in order that many people could be saved. God's the one that put me here. And in John 14, 7, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, talking about his father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Neither one took the glory. Some of you are saying, well, that's all well and good, but I don't have a platform, right? I don't have a a sphere of influence much that I can see. Maybe I just go through my days and I interact with a few people or I don't really see a way that I'm even making change. Can I tell you today, faithfulness is faithfulness. Faithfulness is faithfulness. Joseph's faithfulness in prison was every bit as valuable to God as his faithfulness in his deliverance in Egypt as second in command. How do you act when no one's watching? Are you faithful in the small things in order to be ruler over many? 
But take heart. Faithfulness is faithfulness. Even if it's not around a thousand people, even if all you're walking is a steady step in the right direction, you are speaking life over your family, over those people that come into contact with you. People are being blessed by the fact that you're in the room because faithfulness is faithfulness. One more story. And we'll finish up as the team gets ready to come up here. A missionary was getting ready to go home um, after uh, long years of service to an African tribal people. Uh, She was dearly loved by the people. And so they planned a day of farewell before she left. Uh, People came to the ceremony, the event. And they all made this line. They wanted to show their gratitude. They wanted to be able to hug her neck one last time. They wanted to be able to to shower her with gifts. And so one by one, one by one, they would come. They would meet their tears. They would hug. They would present their gift each time. And eventually a man comes through the line. And I love the description in this story. It said, this man had a shell that was utterly unremarkable in every way. It was dull. Maybe it was cracked. It wasn't much to look at at all. But the woman noticed that this particular shell came from a place that was several weeks journey from the settlement. This man had traveled to get the shell, to bring it back. The woman said to the man, I see what you've done. Asked him about it. And the man presented the shell and he said, the journey is the gift. All. All the time I've walked through sun and rain, through difficulty, through wilderness. The journey is the gift. I went all that way to bring this back to you. When I was younger, uh, about eight or nine, I forgot a birthday. It was funny. I think this was kind of the catalyst for us doing this as brothers every once in a while. Um, I forgot a birthday. I didn't have anything, right? And so I went to my room. I, I grabbed a toy. I didn't grab just anything. I grabbed my favorite thing, right? Because I wanted them to know that I had actually meant and thought about something, even though it was just five minutes prior. But you get the idea, right? Eight or nine. Give me some grace. So I pick out my toy and I wrap it in comics. It was the only thing we had around the house at any given moment. And so I would wrap this toy or I would wrap this old lunchbox. I would wrap this G.I. Joe and I would walk up to my parents, my mother, my father, my brother, depending on how our relationship was that time. And I would hand them the gift with a half smile, hoping that they liked it. And they would unwrap it and they would see that it was one of my favorites. They would thank me. What would we give a king? What do we have to give to a God who who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? What could we possibly, possibly hand him? We bring him our our musical talent. We bring him our athletic ability. We bring him our, our leadership skills. 
We bring them, our, our, our family, we bring all of these different things, these parts of us that we love, absolutely love, and we hand them to them. But they're wrapped in comics because we've been broken and bruised, because we've been tempted, because we've been sold out. But hopefully at the end of the day, our character has remained intact because we know that the Lord goes before us. And so for a half smile, with tears in our eyes, we hand him the gift and our head goes down. You're not going to like it. It's not enough. And the Lord opens the gift. And he says, I'm so fond of you. I'm so fond of you. I'm so fond of you. You make me smile. You know, surrender, we think of as this place we're going to be. Someday I'll be at a place of surrender. You've heard people talk about that. But the Lord is telling you today, surrender is not the destination. Surrender is the journey. And the journey is the gift. The gift we give to our Heavenly Father. What would we give a king? He wants our heart. He wants us to rely on him in the darkness, on the rafters, in the light, every day. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.